podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap, and for the first time, and will be for the rest of the season, we are in association with The Athletic. Uh, you should know about The Athletic by now, but you're going to find out more and more from us over the next weeks and months in terms of the wider coverage and the brilliant work that they do. You know that James and Simon have been doing brilliant stuff for them so far this season, uh, but more and more on that to come uh, during the show. What we're going to focus in first and foremost on Liverpool versus Sheffield United all the other way around, uh, and we're going to talk about Salzburg as well. I have uh, Paul Cope, I've got Phil Bundle, and I've got David Lynch to talk through uh, Sheffield United Liverpool and it's interesting uh, Phil stayed over in Sheffield well in, 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 in the South Yorkshire region uh, after the game Paul watched it uh, from the Sheffield United end um, and they therefore have influences from those perspectives or can say what they thought and it's fascinating to me I'll go to David first actually I actually think there was a real determination post-match to talk Sheffield United up understandably I thought they played really well um, but simultaneously in the cold light today the cold hard facts Liverpool won the game Liverpool deserved to win the game just because they and as fluent as they have been in recent weeks doesn't mean Liverpool weren't the better side yeah I think Jürgen Klopp after the match said that you sort of you could make the argument that, that Sheffield United would have deserved the point if they got it because we didn't take our chances but Liverpool did have the chances and they were really big chances that they usually take so yeah I think it, it is fair to say I thought Sheffield United really impressive in loads of ways absolutely great team great crowd they're going to take points off some big sides there no doubt about it but Liverpool, you know, it wasn't a smash and grab from Liverpool at, at all. The chances that they created and the way they defended, particularly, I think they, they fully deserved the three points. And that, I think it's probably fair that people want to paint it in a way that, you know, oh, Sheffield United probably they, they deserve to win at least, and, and all this is because you know that's you know a lot of teams don't really get that close to giving Liverpool a game these days. So that's you know it, it was particularly impressive because it's a newly promoted team. But yeah, I don't think it wasn't a smash and grab from Liverpool. There was an intensity about it, Paul. You were in their end, and there was an intensity about about their support. It was for them, you know. It's worth remembering. It's been some time since they played top flight football. It is the European champions, the side that got ninety seven points last season. It is. It's the second biggest game they'll have at Bramall Lane this season, possibly the biggest, depending on your point of view. It's also Manchester City going either way for that, and I think it's the it's the first of them as well. And I do think that that was in both performance, in atmosphere, in intensity, and because it remains nil nil for as long as it does, all of that sort of ramps up and everyone gets quite heightened around it. Yeah, it it was from their from their perspective, and I suppose from ours, it was everything I thought going away to Sheffield United would be, and everything that they would want it to be I suppose and we it's funny because you said I, I went with my mate who supports Sheffield United and been mates with them for a long time so it was nice for us to go to the games and we, so we obviously talking about it all the way before it and then in it and we there was all I, in fact I was thinking about this yesterday I don't know how much talk outside of me chatting to my mate who's a Sheffield United fan there was of the overlapping centre-backs thing is that a thing See, in your world? I thought it was a thing because I, I actually thought that one thing that happened is that we sort of struggled down our right a little bit with O'Connell there was a lot of times when he found himself in either in space or with the ball sort of exploiting not exploiting but sort of looking like he could exploit Trent because I, I don't think Trent gets a lot of cover and I'm almost starting to think that we might intentionally try and get teams to attack down our right hand side yeah, because it wasn't as much of a problem over the other side like the other one Basham I didn't really notice him do a great deal but it felt like 
O'Connell was in the game quite a lot. You see, I, my theory on that is I think their most important player is the left wing back, Stevens. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good. Mm. So I think so much goes through him. So I think that one of the reasons why, therefore, the left sided centre back is better than Baldock over the other side. He's markedly better. I don't think it's a bit. I think he's markedly better. Yeah, and that's, um, that was the, the, the analysis I had pre game was that they, there was talk of. You're going to get to see the two best left backs in the world, in the in the world, in the league today. <laughs> Sheffield United's one isn't quite that good, um, but I was saying to my mates during and after the game, and to all of them, it, it, I did I did feel like I got to be the um, I I always reference United, so to the, the great United side of, our, of of us growing up. But it's because that's my favourite reference point for being an, an incredible dominant team. I felt very much like United fans must have felt back then. I used to live with a United fan at one point, and it was. That's what it felt like. I got to go. I got to be the lad going. You were really good, you know. Like you were, <laughs> you were really good. Like that's the best. That's the best anyone's played against. So, I mean, we still beat you, obviously. But, um, smug, but there was yeah, smug, complete. Yeah. Like the, the, the best of my smug personality. I tell you what, you know, it was, I know. I, 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 like the Grand National of smug. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and it was one of them where they, there wasn't much they could say to me. Yeah. Other than all right. Um, Thanks, mate. But I was saying even during the game. The overlapping overlapping centre backs thing aside, I thought that was a bit of a red herring. To be honest, it was wasn't as grand or dramatic as yeah, yeah. I was led to believe it was. But their shape that that's the best shape I've seen against us all season, and it nullified a lot of what we do best. In in particular, for me now, I think now all three of you were at the game. I wasn't. I had to watch it back home. One of the things I think, and I think it can sometimes be difficult, I'll go back to you, Paul, on it first, difficult for, for people who are watching on television is understanding the cutting off of passing lanes. That basically, and it's a, and the other thing I would say as well, and because I've been to Bramall Lane before, that's Bramall Lane pretty much as its narrowest mm-hmm. as well, and it's pretty narrow at the best of times. Yeah. There was very little room, and that's what I was trying to sort of imagine being in the ground. The number of times you saw Liverpool players look up and think, nah, it's just not on. Yeah. And I thought that you saw it over and over again. Is that what it was like in the ground? That every, every time, say, Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Fabinho looked up. It was like, no, I can't get there. Absolutely. And <clears throat> aside from anything else, it was a numbers thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, because you, you've got to think. They've got the three centre-halves and then effectively three in midfield against our narrow midfield three and our narrow foot front three. So you've just got loads of lads. And it's funny when you're analysing football and tactics and stuff. But when you just like go, there's just loads of fellas there. Like we, I've started playing seven aside like once a week, and there's loads of times we all go to each other. There's just too many, too many lads on this pitch. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing you can do. You get the ball, there's someone right on you. That you turn around, there's no passes. And no matter what level of football you play at, that's a thing. And it's it's Phil said before we start actually the the stats of where which areas of the pitch we were playing in there was loads of that first half where we're just sort of playing ourselves in our own third because it's it's moving it around lovely like we do and then it's look up is there a forward pass no not really and even when there was match of the day highlighted matter passes into the into their final into our well, the final third at the other end of the pitch but it's funny when you see that because it's like yeah he did that three times in 45 minutes yeah and when he did it it didn't lead to anything because the next ball is, oh, I've just been pressed and I've got to come back again. Mm. So aside from anything else, and aside from my, my smug performance during and after the game, the, their shape was really, really good and they did do a good job. And it came up with the whole sort of question of, because I was saying to him, you, you just haven't seen us today. Like there's only been moments where you've seen how good we are. And there's then that question of, well, did we play badly or did we play badly because they played well? And I think there was a bit of both of that. I think we, we looked lethargic and we could have done better. And we did have little spells, especially second half, which I'm guessing we'll come on to. 
But they, I, I think you have to give them credit. And I think, going back to what David said, they, they're going to give... I made up we've won that one. And it's still in the bank for City to go into. Do you know when yeah. they're playing City at home, by the way? No, go on. It's, January, is it? it's a Wednesday night in January. Tough which game. is about as bad a time as I can think to possibly go to Sheffield United. Yeah. It'll be minus two. It'll be dark. It'll be quite loud. It's not when I would want to go. I think that's really fair. The one thing I would say is that we have that early sort of three-minute spell uh, where City has scored four. <laughs> that's uh, very true. That is very in true. That, yeah. In that way that they go about but the they'll business. will be freezing then. Uh, so. they, they, they will be freezing. They'll stop and then Sheffield United come, so. come back in. Um, it is... Making it hard is... Is the... One of the things I think is that you get to see, it's only really second half, Phil, where they carry all the threats that they end up carrying Sheffield United and that they're doing bits and that they're nearly on the end of things but again it's down to how you sort of view chances in the end of the call watching the game live when you're absolutely like you think god this this could be horrible and then they begin to get sniffs you're like oh no oh no oh no this is a bad day when you actually look at that almost arguably up until when it's when it's one nil Liverpool look at it back there's not a load in there where you're absolutely thinking yeah that's that that's one that they should score and it's because they're, they're having to work so hard just to keep the shape that they need to keep for when Liverpool get the ball back and you see that when it breaks in the, towards the end of the first half and Liverpool counter because they're a bit ragged at that point they're a little bit tired they've had to be so disciplined takes so much effort on their part to be as organised as they were for as long as they were and fair, fair play to them for actually managing to to do what they did um, I think there's, there's a they're very well coached I think they, their players knew where they had to be and I think that was like conversely watching Chelsea last week I didn't think their players had that in them they're obviously Chelsea are a much better player much better set of players but I was watching Chelsea and I didn't really think that the players knew where they were supposed to be and that obviously makes it a lot more difficult whereas Sheffield United they knew where they were supposed to be and then they knew where their teammates were supposed to be there was a lot of times in the first half when they won the ball sort of on their nominally on their left and they were able to just play a quick ball inside and so, not quite get us turned around, but it opened a little bit of space up in front of them. And if, if they were ragtag, which they weren't, it wouldn't have been as easy for them to sort of get us turned around that little bit. And they, got, they seemed to get a little bit the wrong side of Fabinho a couple of times first half without ever actually, mm. ever actually doing anything. And they just, they're, they were very well organised. It makes it very difficult for us. It's one where you begin to work through what actually does or doesn't constitute poor David and I think that you obviously set your own standards that's one of the things we've seen but all the way through the game I was thinking watching it thinking I've seen genuinely poor Liverpool sides I've seen poor Liverpool performances at Bramall Lane you don't get three chances like you get and there's something else as well where this is the first game arguably where you can say the the, the front three two of the front three get really good chances Mane gets two Salah gets one they don't take them and it changes the entire sort of perception of the performance if Mane takes the first one the clip ball over the top from Van Dijk Liverpool go 1-0 up there's every chance that that's then followed like it was for instance against Burnley with another one before the break and again we're going away we're talking about a consummate Liverpool performance rather than what we end up talking about and what everyone's talking about which is Sheffield United had Liverpool on the ropes yeah it, it gets massively over but it's it goals of the moments aren't they they completely change the how you perceive the game and it, and everyone tries to avoid that just talking about what turns out on the scoreboard and that you know colouring all your judgments of everything that took part, place across the 90 minutes but it's 100% what happened about this game it's you know Liverpool were you know they, they probably weren't at the best you were you, you're happy to concede that but but they had so many good moments of, of where you know they had to get stuck in you know the fact that they're even hanging in the moments prior to those chances where they, they don't really look massively troubled they're dealing with everything they look cool and then 
you just need you need Sadio Mane to put that one in the top corner and then the, the game completely changes you you open them up on the break easily you don't get the crowd doesn't get up in the way that you know when Sadio Mane blasts that one over that that gives them such a lift mm. and you know things like that the, the, I just I think that's coloured the idea of the performance that, that that sort of Sheffield United were unbelievable and Liverpool were terrible. There's not there's not actually when you sort of break it down and break down all the chances coming when they come. There's not actually a huge amount of difference between the performances at Sheffield at Southampton, Burnley, and Sheffield United. They're all very very similar, yeah. and I think that 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 colours perception. But I think the other thing that colours perception is what our rivals for this thing we're trying to do, who we remain five <laughs> points clear of, tend to do as we joked earlier on, is ease into two goal leads quite early and then play the scrappier football as the game wears on. Liverpool have tended to be, if not under the cosh, which they were against Southampton, I'd say, but in the other two, not necessarily particularly effective for much of the first half an hour of the game, looking to wear the opponent down. And then as the game goes on, Liverpool grows stronger and stronger. This is a massive part of Guardiola's tactics as well and why City are so dominant in the way they are. They take so much of the risk of away games out of the equation by just having the ball all the time. So like you, you, they'll never get any encouragement the opposition because City have the ball all the time now. Okay, Liverpool aren't going to play that way. It's going to be different. So you just have to face the reality that sometimes away games are difficult, and it's you cannot control every element of it unless you're doing exactly what City do. And that's the you know that's just the difference between the two sides. But you know it doesn't mean that Liverpool performed any worse at, at Sheffield United just because they didn't have you know all complete you know. Pegging them back in in the way that because you you can see how that City game is probably going to go at, at Sheffield United, unless they take their early chances or whatever. You know, it's they're just different teams, and I think that's you know that's how it changes perception of, of how actually Liverpool played. I thought the Burnley comparison was quite interesting because in the ground I was saying me and my mates were saying it It did feel very much like Burnley now if you remember Burnley we got to half an hour and then across is it Chris Wood on the back and it's gone in and it's changed it changes the game and you wrote state you wrote game state on a yeah on a note of paper there and it is exactly that if we get a goal like that after half an hour it changes the complete complexion of changes the complexion of the game basically and we go on we're a lot more comfortable we probably knock it around with a bit more confidence they might panic a little bit or they might go well, we we can't really afford to go two 0 down here. Whereas they almost, I felt they, they grew into the game, and it was the longer it went on, the more encouraged they were, because we didn't get that early goal that, that killed them like we did at Burnley. It's I think game state and scoreboard pressure, Paul. I think sometimes you the perception of you is is a big deal, and there's a couple of things around this Liverpool side. One is you don't want to let it break on you. Uh, Liverpool are really good in transition they're really good on counter attack you don't want to let it break on you I think that's a thing I think that 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 gets into the mindset of opponents the other thing that's also currently I think in the mindset of opponents is you don't get many chances against Liverpool so when they come you've got to take them and again when you're behind in a game as the game wears on using Mason Mount from the week before it's not as good a chance as I think it was painted retrospectively, but I think he can say he snatches at it, and he snatches mm. at it because of the game state, because he knows that they're only one behind, the, the clock's ticking away, and he's got this opportunity, and oh my God, I can score here. And I think that these these are things, again, in a very sort of 10 years ago Man United way, where at the minute Liverpool are just sort of completely in the ascendancy, and, and the way in which you then go about your business defending two on two against their two in a way which is, we, we back ourselves all the time. I think all of this feeds into this idea that once Liverpool get ahead, it's just going to be so hard for you. Yeah, I think there's loads of that. But interestingly, from the sort of Chef United perspective, when I was chatting to quite a few lads after the match, including my mate, they were they were pissed off that they'd missed chances, but they expected to miss chances because they're 
that's one of their problems is that as loads of sort of lower down the table teams have they don't have the quality of strikers we have the way they were seeing that come out more was they were making and we don't we don't get to see this usually because we don't watch the other team every week they were saying they were make, they were still making defensive mistakes because of the pressure of playing us when ordinarily it would just be this isn't an issue and, it, and I've, I've mentioned to my mate the one that always sticks in my head was I can't remember who it was but for Stoke when Suarez was playing and there was just a long up and over ball Shawcross it was wasn't was it, it? Was yeah, a Shawcross yeah. and, it, and all he had to do was go and head it and instead of just thinking I'm just going to go and head it he's literally looking around to, to see where Luis Suarez <laughs> is and then the ball bounces and once the ball bounces I remember watching it with probably with you and a few others and we were like oh lad because <laughs> once it's bounced Suarez is like ah I've got you now and he just like nudged him off the ball took it and scored and that was the, the, the almost the purest example of that happening and it happened a few times in the game not, not to that extent but even things like we've been talking in recent weeks about lads just falling over and I saw Carragher talk, get interviewed on Sky and talking about like the hardest team he ever played against and he, he referenced the Arsenal uh, Omri team and I remember being in Highbury when he did, like Omri stood him up and like dropped his shoulder and Carragher just fell over just <laughs> dropped on his arse and, and I'm seeing that more and more now with the teams that play us like the one and they made a big deal of it on, I saw a clip on Twitter about Joe the, the, the lad ended up blocking it with his head on yep. the halfway line against Firmino but he had just fallen over inexplicably for like no reason at all. And it, I think it is just that thing of you are so deeply inside the heads and for good reason, as, as we've referenced already. And, we, and I, I don't think he, I, I think that there has been a massive desire to, to say Chef United should have won because of the difference in the, the levels of the teams, I suppose. But you can't get away from the quality of the chances like that. I'd forgotten actually about the Mane one. I'd forgotten all about the sorry the first man he won. the long ball from Van the Dijk long won. ball from Van Dyke. He'd usually slot that. Oh yeah. And if he slots that, and because I was like thinking about Joe stages of the game for well, did, did they get their big chance before we got our big chance? If they'd have taken that, that but it, that was the first moment of the of the game, pretty much a big moment. If he scores that, it's I think we end up with a we they get to watch the the champions of Europe pairing and, and leave that game going guard to one of the best teams we've seen and blah 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 blah. Plus then we have the one where we looked we very much looked like I thought from the other end of the pitch, high up, the one where Mane hits the post. It looked to me like it was like, yeah, we're we're just gonna score here and we'll just pick who scores the goal. And we were just a little bit relaxed about it. We score either of those and they can talk all they want about we're in you know we're in their heads for missing chances, but their chances at the other end were if you take the emotion out of it, they're not yeah. big chances. Like really. Callum Robinson, it was more, one way he drives it wide. Yeah, is it was a, a really difficult quality. chance. Really, like if yeah. he scores from there, it's like the Newcastle one the other strike, week, isn't yeah. it? You're saying, God, that's the best goal he'll probably ever score. Yeah. And then there was a there was a header, which I laughed in the night, actually, because they didn't even show it on match of the day. <laughs> and that was one of the ones that in the pub afterwards, they were saying he should have scored that header. And I was saying, it's easy to say that on the ground, but with a, a cross and a lad jumping for a ball, it only has to be an inch too high. Mm. And it's impossible for him to score. And that's, possibly what it was there is in general let's sort of talk through it a little bit more and go through the game David there is I liked them playing two up against us I think it worked relatively well but what it does is it then leaves them a little bit light in other places and people joining but also you got to see you got to see both Matip and Van Dijk do a fair bit of defending and I think that across the board the goalkeeper the two centre-halves and Fabinho 
out of possession because I think even all all four of them are guilty of giving it away at times during the game because of the same issues we talked about with passing lanes but out of possession they are Liverpool's best performers by some distance I think all four of them have very 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 good games even though the keeper doesn't have a big save to make he's still very prominent very alive in the game very dynamic off his line yeah it was it's it's nice to see sort of two strikers going up you know even though they don't play 4-4-2 it was nice to see two strikers go up against two centre-halves in that really old school way of just it was just a physical battle of like the ball coming up in the air and you know can can Joel Matip can Van Dijk win their individual battles I thought I was actually quite impressed by the way that Robinson pushed on and he's actually quite a threat in the air yep. it was quite hard to deal with and McBurney in particular sort of I, I even though he didn't necessarily win a header against Van Dijk, he came as close as anyone's come. He made it, it, yeah, it, Van Dijk wasn't heading it where he wanted to. Yeah. So then sometimes the ball was dropping to a midfielder arriving and things like that. So I was quite impressed by those two. It was quite an interesting battle to watch. But again, Liverpool centre-halves are both, you know, not just Van Dijk now, you know, Joel Matip is in the form of his life. And I thought he was absolutely sensational. There's huge trust, I think, Paul, and I think that when use Matip as an example, we've we've lived through this. There's a new keeper. Um, for me, there was it was really interesting. There's one where where he comes off his line, the keeper, and kicks it, kicks, kicks, slides into to kick a distance down the pitch. And when that happened against Arsenal. Van Dijk very much got they got in each other's way him and Van Dijk this time nope that doesn't happen at all Adrian's in control of the situation we've lived through Van Dijk having to be convinced by Matip going right the way back to January of this year and there'll be in a few games where there's a bit of back and forth with them mm-hmm. Fabinho's come on leaps and bounds now that little four looks like there's just huge trust absolutely huge trust huge mutual respect everyone's getting on with the jobs absolutely and and it's no coincidence that they'd like they've played with each other loads now they're settled. There's, there, there are certain things, going back to what I said before, there's certain things in football that are not rocket science. There's not, it's age old. It's not who's the cleverest manager. It's these lads have played together loads. They know what each other's going to do. Something I noticed actually from sitting behind Adrian, because I usually watch the match at Anfield from, from the side of the pitch, is just barking at them mm. constantly, barking at them. And there, were, there was loads in it where I was saying to my mate, you, I can talk you through why the content to let Mignolet I know, I know there was sort of circumstances around it but I don't think they'd have been that bothered about letting Mignolet go when they could bring in Adrian because as a, as a type of goalkeeper he's much a much much better fit but it, just going back to the centre-backs thing it, it, make, it made me laugh actually coming out of the game and I saw this I don't know what all your views were it felt like because I listened to the post, post-match show with, with Robbo and everyone was raving about Matip and I was raving about Matip and then I went on Twitter and people were saying Van Dijk man of the match and I was like isn't this funny because I was saying to my mates in the ground Van Dijk's got to that level now where we just almost don't notice he is the best player on the pitch and even your reference there and and even as you're saying we start smiling because it's like this guy had a really good game against him I mean he didn't win any headers (laughs) (laughs) but he he, he, six for five he didn't win any headers and even I've talked about this in the past even the physics of that like the way they're standing on the pitch he's six for five and he's in front of Van Dijk I mean, just the physics means he should win some of them, shouldn't he? He's he's in front of him. He's literally, but no. And we and we're giving people credit for like, oh, he he got the closest anyone's got to. And in I was you could, being like you with those Sheffield United fans. Yeah, that's exactly. But you know what? In the ground, I could feel it. You, all the Sheffield United fans were like fucking Van Dyke, like to keep it away from him. Like it's ridiculous this, and it's it's almost like we're cheating having him on the pitch. So now we just completely ignore this incredible man of the match performance. But then, equally, in fairness. Matip's fantastic and he's he's got a performance where they can go on match of the day look at this lad and just completely ignore the Colossus next to him there's something in 
on Van Dyke's performance. I think first and foremost, it was one of those ones that does actually split the idea of, we've had this conversation quite recently, the idea of what you see in the ground and what you see on the telly. And I think it was a really strong one for that fill in that in the ground, you're watching Matip have to repeatedly battle. And on the telly, you're getting Van, seeing Van Dyke's unbelievable anticipation at times. And for me, one of the things that struck me was, he was like, passing out or putting things out for throws that should just be getting blammed out for corners that he was so that stuff where you think he's going to he, he's got to kill himself not to come off second best he's just completely in control of it was tremendous from that point of view I don't think I've ever seen a, a centre back play the game at their own pace before yeah. <laughs> which is a ridiculous thing because defending supposed to be reactive to an extent I mean there's obviously situations where you can be proactive but he's not even do, he's not really doing either of those things. If that's actually possible, he's just doing his own thing and going, "Oh, well, there's a ball. I'll he can have it, and then I'll win it off him." Or I'll just have that. I'll you know whatever. I'm I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. It doesn't matter. He's not getting past me. I'll just do what I want. And but Matip was in a battle, and that's sort of why some people will think Matip looked great, and some people won't because obviously when you're in a battle like that, you're not going to win all the time. Yep. Whereas Van Dyke does. When you're not in a battle all the time, which Van Dyke almost isn't, he, you can't lose. Yeah, it's. I've got I've got a load of theories. I've been banging about the, about the Matrix a lot in my in my personal life in recent times. So excellent news, Paul. I hope I'm not as confused at the end of this sentence when I was at the end of the I'm, Matrix. I, and you know, but you know what? I started in my own head with the Matrix, and then I went to a different example, which I'm going to come to next. Because I was like, I, th- I for weeks I've been saying he's just he's just playing this game in the Matrix. We're going to find out one day he's just in a different dimension. But then I realised I referenced the other day. Do you remember Back to the Future Two, where Biff gets the the almanac that gives yeah. him all the results? I think it's it's a step beyond the Matrix because the Matrix is you're in the moment and you can just see it all in slow motion. I think someone's given him the guidebook like of what's happening for the rest of the time. So when he's on the pitch, he's just like, no, don't worry about it, lads. I know where he's going to go next. And everyone's like, what? It's like, watch. I do. I can just, like... I'm just going to go and stand over here and then he's going to run into me and then I'm going to pass it to Robertson. Like and everyone's like, that is completely impossible. And then he's like, see? It's a bit like in, like in baseball, the fielders have like cards in the pocket so they know where to stand for each player. Yeah. Except he's got a card in his pocket that tells him what the player's going to do. Exactly. And he's already, because he's already done I it. I do like already the already idea done. though that he's not seeing footballers in, in Bramall Lane, he's just seeing binary <laughs> pouring down in front of him. Yeah. It's, there's something, you were in, I said you were all on the ground and there's something else which was that they were, their crowd was, was very, very up for it. And I think, I think David, the goal the goal kills them for 10 minutes and I think if there's maybe an area and it isn't just the idea Salah misses I think Salah misses reignites them but I don't think it is as simple as Salah misses this Liverpool side I think has been if you're looking for areas to really maybe say that they could do better during this game this Liverpool side has been really really good this season I think at 1-0 and I don't think they are as good at 1-0 in this game I think it may well be because the goal comes quite late but that is one where I think they could be doing a lot better at 1-0 they really should be because Sheffield United that's the moment where they've gone where the crowd's quiet and where everyone's gone oh god and certainly the nature of the goal Liverpool should have built on it probably is that not maybe where you make a concession to the fact that that Sheffield United were just good though you know what I mean I I just thought it's alright for us to sort of sit there and and watch the game and I I had a decent vantage from the press box so you can see when Liverpool are controlling and controlling and yeah you know maybe they wouldn't have they they didn't do as much of that at 1-0 as they would have liked for those final 20 minutes but do you just sometimes have to say Sheffield United are at home? Fans are absolutely sensational. I'd really, that's genuinely the most impressed I've been by one of the grounds I've been to in terms of the, the support. I thought they were excellent. 
you know, they were up for it. You know, it, it, even after the goal, it, do, it does kill them a little bit. But the, straight after the goal, they start singing the goalkeeper's name. So it's like, right, that's a message that, OK, we can go 1-0 down to the European champions. We're not bothered. We're going to keep going. So the, and the, the plan didn't change then for Sheffield United, did it? it you know, they're mm. a side who know that they're maybe going to be 1-0 down. So it, was, you know, it could have happened earlier in the game. Um, and they just sort of, you know, let's carry on playing our football, trying to get down the sides. And they just kept that up. So it's, you know, it's easy for us to say, so, oh, you know, you can control it better and manage it. But it's, it, that is so difficult, isn't it, in reality? Well, it's another game stay conversation, isn't it, David? Because I think with this season, when we've gone ahead, the same before, for instance, Mane, just just before half time against Southampton, and then Liverpool come out for the 15 minutes after the break, and they're absolutely tremendous. Uh, you know, you can look at this, there's a similar sort of uh, comparison point around, for instance, Burnley, 1 0 to 2 0, bang, bang. And But I think that's partially because those goals are coming at certain times in the game. I think by 70, 75 minutes, every, everything's a little bit different, and suddenly 1 0 doesn't necessarily feel like it's something that you've got to build on desperately because you want got to hold it for 20 yeah so Liverpool are in that no man's land of sort of thinking well mm, 20 minutes left we probably could just see this out we're good enough to do it so yeah and I think that sort of encourages Sheffield United in a way so yeah I mean and, and even in saying this that they maybe didn't control it as well how good was Fabinho at winning little free kicks and in dangerous areas and keeping the ball away shielding Very the ball man wasn't it it they were furious about that, by the way. They were furious. It was cheating, and you're like, well... It was, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Just gets yeah. his arse in the way and yeah. flops on the floor. Well done. Yeah, and little things like that. And I thought you know, Liverpool did do a bit of that in, in the middle of, you know, Sheffield United having a real go. So I thought, yeah, no, you can't always control it. And I thought they did as, as probably as well as they could do, maybe. OK, uh, we'll be back in a second or two to have a chat about Divock Origi, uh, Mo Salah. Uh, we'll be getting on to chat about Salzburg as well. Uh, Liverpool found a way against Sheffield United. They tend to do that. Joined briefly by John Gibbons to discuss our partnership with The Athletic. John, uh, on board until the end of the season. And that's pretty exciting for us in terms of the range of shows that we've got and being able to work closely with them. Yeah, I think... To be honest, ever since the athletics started, I found it really useful in terms of, you know, for, for Anfield rap stuff, both in terms of the stuff we do around other clubs, but also just, just really more about Liverpool. I think the pieces have been really good. I think it's excellent. And so it's nice to have a partner who, you know, who, who I can, who I can ge you know, generally say I'm, I'm using all the time. I can genuinely recommend, you know, I'm, I'm sure our subscribers, if they aren't enjoying them, yeah will do uh, if they if if they want to sign up and and yeah it feels like we've got a, obviously a bit of shared values to it because i think both of us are obviously you know charging for content and feeling like the content we produce you know is worth paying for and, and luckily there are a lot of people out there who agree and i'd rather pay a few pounds every month for something really good you know and some, some quality and something that's, that's been thought about and something that's been created kind of you know in, with with a little bit more care and so i'm glad to see them doing well and, and really pleased that they're, they're partnering with us going forward uh, we are absolutely delighted about it. The way in which we're going to be working with them as much as we can is uh, getting their very, very good writers on board to do bits and pieces with us. We're still going to be using our fan voices for things around Coach Home and Friday's show. We love that and we love those shows. I mean, that should come through the care and affection that's in them uh, for those people who subscribe to Tour Player. Uh, and if you don't, maybe think about that. You know, we're doing those that work every single week. But we're also going to be add to, add to that with journalists who are covering uh, these teams almost every single, well, not almost, literally every single week, covering them all the time time uh, doing the business and they can let us know what's going on at those sides. Uh, we've also got the insight that we can get for European shows. We're going to be bringing 
that back uh, very, very soon in, uh, indeed as well. Uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, and uh, lower league stuff as well. And just in general, really, John, as you say, you know, reading it. And if there's anything interesting in there, anything we want to we wanna really explore further, we can, you know, as we do anyway, and as we will do with, with a number of our journalists, and we've used people who are on The Athletic anyway, we see them as our friends regardless, being able to give them a call and say, let's have a chat about that. Yeah, and sometimes it's nice to do that. We probably used to do that a little bit more than we do now, didn't we? Definitely. Remember the old midnight caller days, Neil? I love the midnight call. <laughs> let's do more of them, John. Let's bring them back. Well, this is this is the avenue to do so. This is the avenue to, to do kind of more of them, really, because sometimes, you know, when someone writes something really interesting, you know, you, you, you are interested, but, you know, you've got questions, you know, there's there's little bits that, that you know, you'd like to sort of follow up with them. So this will go give us a, ch- a chance to do so and just to kind of go into it. We'll be your voice and go, what did you mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> that, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So obviously if, if, if you guys see anything in, interesting in the athletic, do kind of, you know, give us a, a, a nudge, you know, and we can we can maybe kind of, you know, introduce that either into the weekend or, or as you say, to, to kind of standalone shows. Because I think, you know, that as much as digging as you can do on some of these issues, it is really, really interesting. It is indeed. Uh, if you want to sign up with us, uh, you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield Wrap. That's theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield Wrap. We'll be mentioning that through as we're uh, bringing people on and bringing voices on. Uh, we're really looking forward to it, to be quite honest with you. It's been something that we've been working on for the last few weeks and months. Uh, um, really pleased that they've come uh, with the Anfield wrap uh, and will be with us until the end of the season uh, and then we will go from there but for now it is theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield wrap if you want to sign up at the minute you can get an annual plan off the basis of that which uh, which is at half the uh, the, the, the monthly price normally uh, that's on there 249 a month it comes out as you pay for the whole year up front uh, theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield wrap we'll get back on now with the main show thanks to John for popping in and doing that um, the sub is something which he does it early, David, and I think that's one of the things that you take away from it is that he does it. This is pretty early to change of shape. It, it obviously helps that Origi comes on and plays well. I think it's much of the muchness. Although when Alden goes and gets the goal, which of when Alden and Henderson could have gone off, I was thinking that when I was watching it live. You keep Fabinho on, you put one of them in, you do four, two, three, one. But it was also a nature of the game. Liverpool were it was theoretically three against three in midfield, but because of the way Sheffield United were playing, Liverpool didn't need three midfielders in there. It's it's a hugely practical sub. You'd almost half wonder if you might have been tempted to do it at half time. Yeah, well. At the post-match press conference, I asked him about it because I, I sort of, Jordan Henderson had been down, hadn't he, like maybe 10 minutes beforehand, sort of got a bit of a knock or something. like that. So I thought it might have been injury related. And then he's also thought, well, while I'm making the sub, I might as well sort of go for it a little bit. But he said, no, purely tactical. He said one of the things he wanted to do was to sort of, because it goes 4-2-3-1, is, is drop Firmino a little, little bit deeper so he can get on the ball a bit more, which is something that, that Liverpool would struggle to do because usually he finds it so easy to drift away from the two centre-halves, doesn't he? And then just turn on that pocket and he's in. But because they could always spare a centre-half to go with him, he was really struggling to get into that space. So that was what the idea was. And you could... It, you know, it's such a good sub in, in that it actually does it does lead to the goal because not only is Origi the one who crosses it for the clearance, but because you've then got four attackers on the pitch rather than three, they all pushed into the box. That makes makes Sheffield United drop deeper, and then Genie Wijnaldum's in acres of space to hit the ball. And although obviously he gets a bit of luck with the with the goal, he's hit it quite well. It's you know it's wet, it's difficult conditions for the goalkeeper, and the the chance only comes about because Sheffield United can't spare a man at the edge of the box. So perfect substitution um, minor concern for Divock and I'm saying this in the context of the fact that he came on and was I think really good is that he's he's quite the sub 
He, you know, you, he's very much played himself into possibly best sub in the country territory. <laughs> and that is, you know, from a professional footballer's point of view, a lot of that will depend on the sort of the mentality that he has and how he sort of looks at the game. Because I think that, I think we missed him against Napoli. I think you can make an argument we missed him against Chelsea. I think in both of those games, he would have got on and he would have got 20 minutes minimum. He'd have won four corners. He'd have, yeah. yeah. And he'd have forced them back. And I think he, I think he might have genuinely changed it positively against Napoli from a nil-nil situation as he does here and you know he wasn't great uh, last time he got a start it's fair to say uh, and we were struggling a little bit with him uh, last time he got the start but he is he finds himself um, currently absolutely in one way essential to this Liverpool side but it is fundamentally going to be from the bench I wonder though if it was a bit not necessarily to the bench more to the fact that he played with the other three because when he usually starts it's usually because one of them's not playing really fair Um and but what you because he always starts on the left and it puts Manny through the middle, which I don't think works. But it was actually Manny moved to the right, and then there was Firmino dropped in and there was Salah through the middle. And as opposed to um, Sheffield United just having three of them to worry about, they were they were able to look at the other three as well and still go right. Well, he, he's not as good as the other three, so we are a bit happy with them having the ball and making sure they're a bit covered. I think it. I'd be interested to see it actually from the start of, of a few games because Firmino was, was struggling to get on the ball and he got on the ball. He seemed to get on the ball a hell of a lot more when um, when he when he dropped sort of five, ten yards. Yeah. But Origi got a lot more space than he would have done under normal circumstances if he'd have come on for one of them as opposed to Jordan Henderson, I think. The other thing that happens, which Phil says there, Paul, is Mane drops right. And it's really interesting to me. Mane goes over to the right and there's two things that happen. One is he's better at tracking than Salah. Salah I think is actually better at pressing than we give him credit for when the ball's in front of him but he doesn't track he was tracking during the game he's not lazy but he's not he's not instinctively a wide midfielder in the way Mane is able to be mm-hmm. but the other thing that then happens then if you're suddenly end of Stevens, you're going there's four of them and I could do with dropping in a little bit more and I think it does change I think that the, the manager's the manager's sub doesn't just work tactically from the point of view of how it gets Liverpool on the front foot but it also does give Sheffield United and I think specifically that area of the pitch it gets suddenly harder for them there they're not now dealing with Jordan Henderson 15 yards deeper than where Mane is they've got Mane he's on the front foot but all of a sudden if you're Ender Stevens, you're turning to your manager saying do I go goal side of him or do, I, do we keep being brave up here because this isn't easy yeah, I think I think there's there's actually quite a lot into the, in the sort of psychology behind that sub that I've not really seen talked about, and and maybe it was because I was I was sort of having to summarise to my mate before the game what we're like and what we do, and he was asking about what team we'd play, and I got to tell him about where we've actually got like a first choice eleven pretty much now, and we've actually got a, a shape, and it's it's easy to forget that we didn't when Klopp first came in there was more tweaking and testing and seeing at and, this time last season there yeah, was and. But now there isn't. And as that wore on, I was like, oh, he's changing the shape here with that sub. I, and I think, I mean, go, it goes go back a step. Even talking about the start of the second half, I'd been saying to my mate at half time, the problem you've got here is what we usually do when we've had a half like this and you've had the best first half I think I've seen against us. We figure it out at half time because we have analysts saying to them, lads, I know you've struggled to figure this out on the pitch, but there's massive gaps here, here and here and you need to do this and that'll sort it out. And then we come out after half time and Matt have just starts strolling through the middle of the pitch and you can see in the, in the ground, I could feel it and on the pitch, it was like, they're like, oh, what do we do with this now? We're not expecting this. And then that was the moment actually where I expected, when you told me before about we weren't as good after going 1-0 up, that was the spell I didn't think we were as good at because 
there were a couple of little moments. There was a little one with uh, Robertson and Mane down the left where we, we had a little triangle, we cut them apart, and I thought, this is where we're going to click into gear now, and this is where they're just going to fall. And it never quite happened. So then that flows into, okay, I need to do something else. I need to do something from the bench, the change of shape, the Origi down, down the left. So I think that's all fascinating because we don't usually do that. And I said, I did say so afterwards, that's, that's a, a compliment to you that he's having to find these solutions, which he doesn't usually need to do. Um, and then in fairness to Origi, when I was chatting about what's, when I looked at our bench, I was like, oh, the, the sub for me would probably be Oxley chamberlain for Henderson because you'll get that drive through the midfield. And I completely dismissed Origi. And I think I've still got sort of some bias against him, probably because I still don't, I still don't think he's at the level we need. But that comes down to what he's like when he starts. I'm, I'm with you I, as a substitute. And we, again, we're talking about this after the game. I've said this before. He's absolutely massive. He's really, really fast. He is, he's skillful. Like he pulled off a couple of tricks going down that side where you're like, nice that mate. And I think I still underrate him in that, in that role. I can't imagine anybody on that pitch when he comes on down that side is happy at all. And then on the wider point, again, sitting in the end, my mate immediately turned to him and went, so you're going to have four of them on now? <laughs> and I went, yeah, yeah. And, and you've got to think as well, and I've, I've talked about this with the Rigi before, about when we're trying to, everyone wants us to sign someone. To them, forget what we all think of Divock Origi. To them, that's a lad who scored a goal in the Champions League final to win it for us. That's the lad who scored two against Barcelona. They all watch these games. Mm. So to them, it's like, Jesus Christ, now they're bringing on Divock Origi. And we're all a bit like, hmm. <laughs> so you've got, to, you've got to take into account the different effects it has on them compared to us. This is the first time I think we've seen, had to see this season, David, because again, game state and game state has almost become the mini theme for the show. But it's the first time I think we've had to see. There's two things. We can say Liverpool are a little bit blunt. Even though we've talked before Origi comes on, they have two really good chances. They're going to have a third one with Mane, with Salah, sorry. But you can say that Liverpool maybe are a little bit blunt. But there's a flip side, I think, which is which is Liverpool have exhausted Sheffield United. They've really, really made them put a lot in physically and mentally. They've had to go through everything. And then there is the idea of the change. And I think it's maybe the first time this season where we've seen the manager maybe have to win it from the bench. And I think that at the minute, yeah, I understand my... I don't think, for instance, Liverpool's first-choice midfield as it is now will necessarily be the first-choice midfield come next April for Liverpool. I think there might be a couple of changes in there which may lead to a little bit more creativity from those areas. But one thing that midfield does is it just keeps working and it keeps running and it keeps asking questions of the opposition even if it doesn't always provide answers for Liverpool. I think that this is the first time we've had to see the manager being able to turn to his bench and go, I'll sort this. Yeah, and maybe he thinks... Maybe he thinks that that three has got through enough work and, and done enough to grind Sheffield United down that he can actually expend a, a midfielder for a forward. It's it's quite a brave choice, isn't it? Because we haven't seen that four two three one, you know, regularly at all. You know, since he sort of abandoned it halfway through last season, when which sort of cost Chikiri all his minutes and you know didn't really see him much at all for the back end of last season. So. Yeah, it was, it's a brave move, but obviously, you think you know he's probably thinking what you say there, Neil, is that yeah, we have done enough here. We've set a platform that I can leave two men in there and let's go for it. And, you know, it, like I said, it, it, it did work, didn't it? It worked perfectly. We've talked all the way through the summer about, for instance, the Paul's uh, hinted at it there, Phil, get another option, get another option. But I think he's... 
I do think he's, and I think he will be right to feel as though that he's probably now able to field, and let's remember he is still let leaving footballers at home. Hmm. He is able to field possibly the strongest bench that he's that he's had since, in, in his time since he's been at the club. I think he can, you know, he can feel as though he has game-changing options on there one way or another. Do you think on the bench, do you think it's a little bit weird that we need Lovren and Gomez on that bench on Saturday? Like, what has to happen for, when James Milner's there as well, what has to happen for Lovren, Gomez and James Milner to be all used as substitutes? Well, like, I agree. would it not be better to leave Lovren off and put Brewster on the bench? Because they, they talk about Brewster, this, that and the other, say he's brilliant, etc. Oh, okay, he wasn't brilliant at MK Donald the other night. But if you're 3-0 up in that game with 20 minutes to go, you can give him 20 minutes. Like, the only way that Lovren is getting on the pitch is if two players have already got injured. Because if, 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 yeah. if, if, if a full-back gets injured, it'll be James Milner that comes on for one of the... Or, or you bring Gomez on. Then if another full-back gets injured, it'll be Milner that comes on. If it's a centre-back that gets injured instead, it'll probably still be Milner that comes on and they'll just move Gomez inside. Yeah, I, I thought the same I, thing. I just, I just look at it and I, I, it was the same in Naples as well. You... You don't need that many players to cater for emergencies. Do you not think it's just a squad man? I, I just saw it and thought squad management. Like, he's, he's got to at least make it look to Dejan Lovren like he's involved somewhere. And he's had a game midweek and he's like, yeah, just come with us. Basically, it's almost like just come with us. Just come with us for the day out. Because I'm with you. Like, he, the, what, what are the situations? But then I suppose, but, is that the wider? same for Brewster then? Is mm. it what would have to like, happen for him to have got on the pitch, though? I'm actually starting to get a little bit concerned mm. about the Brewster thing and the way that we told him he'll be involved. And we're now basically in October and he hasn't been on a bench by the Super Cup and he's had one start, which was in a scratch team against the MK Dons. And it's getting to the point where there's going to be kids going, well, you said this to him and you think he's brilliant and not using him and it wasn't I mean you don't necessarily have to bring him on on Saturday but could still be on the bench I think it's really interesting in general I think mm -hmm. that there's and we will do a show in the international break I'm going to do on pathways because I think I think that this I always say on these shows that I think the manager's small c conservative and I think he's full of things he'd like to do but ultimately as you get closer and closer to kickoff times he very much exceeds the reality that's in front of him mm. and and that's fine in that and, and he's a brilliant football manager and he's got his 97 points and won the Champions League and he's absolutely incredible but there is there is a thing around I think that he he has his percentage choices and he will make his percentage choices and it's he's very similar in one way to for instance Benitez but because the demeanors are massively different the, the we don't sort of we don't sort of anticipate it in the same way I think there's there's another side of it as well, and I wouldn't be surprised if they not quite this conversation, but I wouldn't be surprised if what he's saying to the likes of Brewster is it wasn't like oh you're going to get loads of games at the beginning mm. of the season. I think That's when he's picking these squads fair, now, yeah, yeah. he's thinking to himself that as football go, the chances are this will all sort itself out for me after Christmas because Adam Lallana will get injured, and now I'm not putting him on my bench, so Brewster can have that spot or. You know, most most Salah will pick up a knock and be out for four games, and that just has a knock-on effect through the squad. Yeah, but it's more though that basically on if Shakiri had been fit, Shakiri would have been on the bench, and Lovren probably wouldn't. Yep. So why so why not? are you replacing an attacking midfielder who can play in the front three with a centre back? It just doesn't make a great po deal. Of possibly, sense to me. but we're going to come on and talk about Salzburg in a minute, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if he lashes Lovren in. 
would not surprise me if he lashes Lovren. We'll come on and talk about that in a minute or two. I just want to do one more little thing on this, on this game and about Mo Salah, Paul. He's got this really, really interesting knack of playing himself out of form in a way that you don't really see from... Like it's, it's an odd thing to see footballers do in this way, but he really does seem to be very good at it. He seems to get himself onto a lovely run of not scoring yeah. uh, with efforts. <laughs> when you do the whole thing around, oh yeah, they've got to be in the right position at the time, I think he's one of the few forwards where I would say I could do without Salah being in the position to miss them because he then gets himself into a little rut of missing them for a period. Yeah. Most forwards, you would say, when you, when they're not playing well, they're not getting in the positions and you go, oh, well, when he starts getting the positions, it'll click. For Salah, he comes in the positions a little bit too much for a period of time and suddenly it's like oh I'm crap again now and, that, and, <laughs> yeah. and then it might be that he gets one early on against Leicester goes on and gets a second and then before you know where we are we're talking about eight league goals and six league games and he's back being Mo Salah but it's a really really strange thing yeah it is I love with you I love, it's just what we have to live with I suppose, isn't it? There was a, there was a lovely little clip. Did you see the clip of Oxley Chamberlain getting interviewed on the club TV channel, yeah. where they said to him about like, is is he greedy? And he basically said, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's boss. <laughs> Went into me. I'm not bothered. Yeah. Like, I could could not care less. I talked about like playing. I, don't, I I love doing the comparisons with whatever level you play at because football is football at the end of the day. And when we're playing football, we're playing against lads who are the similar quality to us. So it all levels itself out. There's a lad, one of our mates who I play with, and he's brilliant, and he's the best football who has, hasn't made it pro or semi-pro I've ever played with or seen. And when I'm playing with him, I don't even make a run anymore. <laughs> like he's got the ball in front of goal with three lads ahead of him and I just stand and watch. I think if he lo- when, or usually when he loses it, because he's, he's a lot heavier and slower than he used to be. And I've still got this, this image in my head of what he was like 10 years ago. But I, I said to him, we were watching... Um, what match? The, the Champions League game together. And I said to him, it's like, it's like watching you. Like you, you will not give the ball to me in front of goal and I do not blame you one bit. I'm not as good as you. That's, it's as simple as that. So it, it was really refreshing to see Chamberlain be like, yeah, of course. So I think where the, where the problem then comes in, obviously, and that's why we've had this big thing recently with the Manny kickoff and stuff, is that there are two lads up alongside him who are brilliant and Manny's like, well, actually, mate, there's a big argument now that I'm better than you in front of goal, so give me the ball. But I think that's just one of those things we have to we have to put up with. Even is even the the one he missed. You've got for me, you know, busting a gut to just just roll it yeah. in front of me. It's not quite there, you know. It's not. I know. It, it was only when I watched it back actually, and it was interesting. The ground, the other, like the Sheffield United fans didn't see it. I was like, he could have rolled for me, you know, in, and they were like, did could he? What when what? Because they're just focused on Salah. But when I watched it back, I was like, yeah, that was. It was more difficult than it could have been. Um, but. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think we just have to suck it up. We we have seen this in the past, haven't we? We have seen incredibly good centre forwards just go through those spells. And it's just a case of, it's a bit like, do you know that the Allison adrian thing? I'm made up, like no, everyone's banging on about City's injuries and completely forgetting that we've got the best goalie in the world and he hasn't played all season pretty much. And it, for me, it's a case of when Salah's like this, just get through it. If you get through, if you if you can get to the end of that spell and you've got Allison back and then Salah clicks back into gear, you're looking around at other teams then and thinking mm, you've missed it. I, I really like Chris Wilder actually. Like I'm not sure I'd like him as our manager, but I like watching him as a manager of another team when it, when he was like, yeah, we missed an opportunity there. Regardless, whatever, forget it, forget any sort of wider analysis. They weren't at their best, and we've missed it. We've missed the chance. We won't get that again. Um, and I think that, I think there's loads of that. I think a run at home games will do Salah good as well. 
because I just think he feels more, you know, when he's in these little ruts, it's just so much more comfortable to score at Anfield where he knows where every every blade of grass and, you know, and then once he gets one, he'll go on a little run and I think that'll be helpful for him. Was he was he scoring many at this time last year? I'm no, just trying to think. Was, and I don't think he was. I don't think he was. Yeah, yeah. We, we sort of move him nine for a bit. I think he's still sort of dealing. He's not fully fit at this point. Yeah. He doesn't sort of come across fully fit. He's finding it a little tricky. Mm. He ends up moving nine. There's also something, I think the other thing which is different to last season though is I think Firmino gets dealt with a fair bit at the start of last season. Yeah. People put a lot of energy into stopping Firmino and that's sort of gone now because Mane and Salah come, come as strong as they do towards the end of the season. But Firmino is not able to supply Salah in the way in which he had been the previous sort of April. Uh, and that's it got a little bit harder. So the manager changes it a little bit for a period and goes from there. Um, as someone who is silky as anything, David Lynch, <laughs> why do people not round goalkeepers anymore? Like, it's not, this isn't just a Salah thing. It drives me, me mad. why I don't. Well, I'm not I, I don't think I can shoot inside the box No, they so. shoot inside the box in fives. <laughs> but why don't, why don't forwards round goalkeepers anymore? And that Henderson does does all right for that. But he's very much just set himself and gone. And he's he's very still. And Salah's moving at some pace. This isn't just a Salah thing. I, I, I'm intrigued by the fact I, that I footballers... Think, I think it's because they stand up longer now, goalkeepers. Yeah. I don't think they go... Their, their sense of gravity is a lot higher than it used to be, I think. So there's the idea that they can recover like, from having set Hen- themselves. Henderson stood up for that. Yeah, I know he stood up and hung his leg, he hung his leg out, which you don't see very often from a keeper on a one-on-one. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with the fact that he does that, but I think he very much, I think he, he does stand up and he stands big, but I, my point is, he stands, if you know what I mean. Salah's moving at such pace on his left-hand side, I don't think it takes much for Salah to move it left and even just completely change the angle and suddenly Henderson's scrambling. He wasn't that far out, though, you know. Mm. I think Henderson might only be about six or seven yards out of his goal, which means, and he was on the left post as well. Mm. So it means if, if Salah does shift to the left, he's. I just think it's, it's a, a real very shame. slight angle. Is it a right? Is it a is it a two footed issue? It might like be. If, if he's, if Could he's Sadio Mane have done right. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, is yeah, is Sadio more two footed? Well, Sadio yeah, rounded the keeper. Say so, yeah. Sadio rounded the keeper at Crystal Palace a year ago. Yeah. I'm just basically like not just Liverpool. I just think it's a shame goalkeepers don't get rounded these days. Like it's one of my favourite things to see in football is when someone stands the keeper up and just goes see you later and knocks it into an yeah, empty net. Well, everyone says it's an incredible save, which when you've got to give the goalie credit for that. But when you when you look at it like that, he is just standing still and he doesn't move, and Salah kicks it straight at his leg. When you think about it that I way, that's a little bit harsh. He's, think? he's moved his leg to the ball. Does he? Yeah. Am I being? Am I being? I thought it was a really good save. It is a really good save, but I, I just, I just want to see keepers sat down more I often. Remember the best, the best one of them was when Torres basically dummied. Was it either Shea Given or Steve Harper on yeah. Boxing Day? Oh yeah. And he basically just dropped his shoulder. Yeah. And the next thing you knew, the goalkeeper sat down, and Torres is just like. But he hadn't even gone past him. And it's uh, no, it's tremendous. He hadn't even gone past him. He's, I think he's in front of him and he just rolled it in. Who was it tried to do that the other week? Was it someone from the opposition tried to do it? And I, was, and I remember Ted's mate going, "You're not Fernando Torres, mate." Because because when you get that wrong, oh, you it, look. I mean, it looks just horrendous. You just like, why did you run away from the ball? Why why are you dropping your shoulder? You haven't even got the ball. Um, Salzburg then Liverpool having defeated Sheffield United and moved themselves along Salzburg uh, it's a really big game David and they're, they're a very fit side and they've won 6-2 Look, obviously Napoli beat Liverpool listen it is only the second group game but it is also simultaneously one that Liverpool will feel as though they've got to win uh, that said uh, are you expecting to see any changes I, I I think there might be something in the back line that I think wouldn't surprise me if there's two I don't think we'll be talking about four or five no, maybe a Joe Gomez coming in, something like that. I don't think he'd do anything drastic just because this game is is big because of, you know, what happened in Naples. Um, and also, you know, when he's talked about Salzburg, Jürgen sounds like he's got a huge amount of respect for them, I think, probably because, you know, 
reputedly playing a very similar style. I can't say that I'm an expert in the Austrian Bundesliga, but um, yeah, you know, we know that they're, they're hard running. They're not going to make it easy for Liverpool. But I do think, you know, even now we're talking about, you know, tactically how well set up they are and the way people talk about them Liverpool will have too much strength for them at Anfield so they probably could afford to make a couple of changes maybe bring a Milner into midfield or a Gomez but I don't think he's going to go too crazy just because you know we're in a decent run of well more than decent run of form and I just think he'll want to make sure they get these three points on board It wouldn't surprise me to see no changes depending on I, I don't I, I, it's like the typical don't look too far ahead I literally don't look at fixture lists anymore not because of anything other than not that I asked about any games beyond what the next one is so what's the game after Leicester does an international break Manchester United oh. away after the international break so so I, I think there's an argument for and I think we saw a bit of this on, on Saturday actually we all have in our heads and I think Jürgen as well is like oh yeah we need to give these lads a rest and then whenever they have a little break you're like oh, Jesus it's like they've forgotten everything and they've got to work themselves back into it. And I think there's there's an argument where Jürgen said he's just like, well, because it's block. you look at these things in blocks. They all had the week off against MK Dons. It took it took them a bit to get back into it. They can just play the next two games. Well, Mane and Salah don't go away for international duty again. Mane does. Oh, Mane does. Yeah, oh, they've, got, they've, they've, got a, they've got a friendly against Brazil and Singapore. Because why wouldn't you have a friendly? Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Ab- what a gang of bastards. <laughs> I'm living with the Senegalese. I'm just living with Singapore. And Brazil, Brazil. And, and Singapore. Yeah, Singapore t- have paid the money to obviously go there. Yeah. Which is a bit of a pain. They've made a few phone calls there. They've yeah. got Brazil. They confirmed Brazil. On and the, then they went, we need the, a decent opposition. On the plus side, they'll wow. finish, because the time zones will finish about 24 hours before they did last time, the Brazilians. Right, okay. <laughs> if you think about it, because instead of finishing at yep. six o'clock in the morning, our time on the Wednesday, they probably finish at lunchtime Tuesday instead. So at least there's that. It's a real, it's a real kick in the teeth, though, this film. Yeah. Well, I, see, I'm annoyed I was you. very excited <laughs> with their. Going to shoot the messenger on this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to send me to Singapore to monitor yeah. it for yeah, you, yeah, yeah, that'd be I'm, great. I'm all right with that. Um, there is, though. The thing about the thing about Salzburg and Leicester is they're both massive games filled. They're both around field, and that obviously plays in Liverpool's favour, as you would, would expect it to. If Liverpool beat Leicester and this. Paul Cope does not want to get ahead of himself. I very much want to get ahead of myself. If Liverpool beat Leicester, then realistically they turn up on the 10th of November against Manchester City and they are level with Manchester City or still ahead of them on points, realistically, given how the fixtures will probably go from that point onwards. That's why Leicester is an absolutely enormous game. But as said, Salzburg's an enormous game. Do you think he might do two so he can do another two? I I think you'll see Oxlade-Chamberlain in midfield. And I think think Oxlade-Chamberlain and Gomez feel like the two most logical ones just to give Matip or probably be more likely Matip just give him a just give him a day off because he he's been worked the last two games because they've been targeting that side of the pitch he's been worked so maybe just give him a, and also they're, they're a very quick side on the break so it's big from what I've seen in them so Gomez's pace might be a bit of a and in centre midfield do you think it'll be Oxlade-Chamberlain for Henderson or Oxlade-Chamberlain for Wijnaldum uh, Wijnaldum I think I would say okay but maybe not. I'm a, there's a. It's, a it's, it's probably. I think it's almost a bit bigger than people think because if we if we win, it feels like with the back to back games against Genk that might be us with one foot in the last sixteen. But if we lose, it's, it's we've probably got to go to Salzburg last game and get something. It might only be a point, but it's still not really what you want with your last group game going away to a team who are full of energy and having to get a point. It's not, and it's the biggest game of Salzburg's yeah. lives. I mean, the ideal world for the Champions League group is that your last game maybe even your second last game uh, meaningless and all you're doing is trying to finish top of the group which based on the last three seasons of the Champions League given that the winner has come second in the group the last three seasons it doesn't actually matter that much 
especially with how packed our December is. So it'll be quite nice to go win tomorrow, get the back to back against Genk, and then hopefully, if Napoli then did the double over Salzburg, we'd have nine points. They'd have three. There'd be three games left. We could potentially be through after four games, I think. Okay. If we win tomorrow, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think it's a massive game. I genuinely think. Yeah. I think it's being. It's being. It's. I think it's not going to get I, the credit I it deserves. Think as people how big have possibly underestimated Salzburg. I well, think they very much have. If they were from Germany, had the same players and had, but played in the Bundesliga every week, people think differently. Just simply because they play in a league that's not very high profile, and you know, they got to the semi-finals, the Europa League, eighteen months ago. And all right, if you were playing, they played, they got knocked out by Marseille. And if you were playing Marseille, you wouldn't be petrified. But you'd still think, oh, Marseille, they're a traditionally quite a, a good side. I mean, I think have they, have they lost yet? I'm going to have a look now. I think they've won every game in the league this season. You And they score about six million goals. Yeah, they look absolutely, they're really, really dynamic. I mean, they've got Alfinger Haaland's son up front who scored about 46 goals and it's the 1st of October. <laughs> That's and that's only a slight <laughs> exaggeration. I think he's over. I think he's over twenty. Yeah, he scored nine goals in a game this year. They abs- the under twenty. I think it was the under twenty World Cup. He scored nine goals in a game. Wow. Abs- but that's for me. Where is where? So in that in that context, are you going to risk breaking up the centre back pairing? When when you've got that, it's such a big game. You still haven't got your first choice keeper in. I th- I think the only for me sort of instinctively the the only changes. Call me if like Henderson has got a knock or something like that. I I, I see it because it's such a big game. The next two that he, he will just go with the same. Uh, Harland has got seventeen goals and ten starts this season so far, uh, which is quite the return. Uh, but he is currently <laughs> he is currently a doubt. Um, is he, he is a, a doubt. Yeah, he's, he's he's not at all well. What that picture you're looking at now? He does not look like Kevin De Bruyne from this angle. He does look a lot a lot it's like good great. podcasting that boys. Yeah, it's yeah. great. <laughs> that. There's Honestly. an article in the Metro if you want to participate. <laughs> yeah, hey, leave it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> can leave <laughs> there, <didn't> you? <laughs> um, he does indeed look like top red Kevin De Bruyne, who loved putting the blues to the sword at the weekend um, really 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 thought he was sticking it to Graham Sharp from 85 there I thought Kev De Bruyne at the weekend uh, that's some ball up, by the way oh, it's outrageous it's, it's an outrage uh, what, some of what he's doing is an outrage uh, isn't that twice in two weeks it's it's, it's unbelievable what it's he's doing um, well yeah but he can just do it wherever no, exactly, he likes because yeah. you can't do anything about it um, there is it, it will be one where you know I'm going to ask you for predictions on it it is a difficult one because of the way in which it goes I do think there's something in the, the conversation around they want to play like us David and we're better at it um, uh, and that's the main thing I'd take here is that we should be better at it Liverpool should have a little bit too much for them it's not a defence that gets tested very often because they've got a lot of front scoring 17 goals in 10 games uh, they are you, you know they're used to being on top in games they're not going to be on top at Anfield no and it's the sort of game where you know I think Haaland's son will turn up and Virgil van Dijk is waiting for him to sort of stamp out any hopes you and dreams he might have. You don't get Virgil van Dijk have. and the Austrian bun. Wiener Neustadt well, exactly, haven't got yeah. Virgil van Dijk as centre-back. Yeah. Van Dijk's already practising what he's got the rule the fans going to do against him. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. He's got, he's got the play card <laughs> yeah. in his pocket. So, yeah, uh, as good as these are, I mean, you know, you, you've got to show them respect and absolutely no doubt Liverpool will. I still think that a comfortable home victory is, is probably likely. Comfortable home victory? 2-1, I think, feels. 2-1? Possible. I'm more with David. I I think these games suit us more than Sheffield United away. I think that there is also the the sort of slight argument that Salzburg have to play a, a game that they don't really do normally. You see this with quite a lot of the the sort of teams from the lesser leagues in the Champions League, like like so, Red Star Belgrade away from home. I was about season. to say they come to Anfield and they're like, right, we've got to defend here, and they're like, don't actually know what I'm supposed to do here. Yeah, yeah we I don't might, do this. 
I agree. I'm one of the best players who plays in the Serbian league. Mm. And, I'm I used, and I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I might well be. Don't watch much Serbian football, but I might well be. But they, they can come to Anfield and they go, right, we're really good on a week-to-week basis at going at teams and winning games. And now they've got to come to Anfield playing a completely different way that they just don't practice. Mm. And that might work for us, but... It might indeed. Uh, all right, then. I, I agree with that, by the way, and I think it also suits us. As, as, as what happened to everybody last season when they went to Red Star Belgrade, and it also su- it suddenly became a game. I think it suits us having Salzburg away last. It's the as fact long that we've as got, we win this one. It also helps that we've got games two, three, and five. They're two, four, and five as home games as well. Very much so. Uh, agree with all of that. Thank you very much indeed to Phil, to Paul, and to David. Uh, it has been the Anfield Wrap this week. First time we've had it with the Athletic in partnership. Very, very pleased to have them aboard. As discussed, loads and loads of stuff to come from that and other matters arise and there'll be the weekender in terms of free shows this week that'll be coming we'll be having a chat about the Salzburg game and looking ahead to a massive massive game against Leicester City that's to come you've got all the stuff that you can download all the video all the audio all the YouTube just get on the app and go from there it works that way best Sports Social Podcast Network